Uh, guys, well, we're starting uh, a new series tonight uh, after uh, 50-some weeks in the book of John. Uh, actually, boom, uh, after like 50 sermons in the book of John uh, over two years, uh, we finally finished, and uh, we are into a new study that we're starting tonight. We're going to be going through the book of First Thessalonians, and we're going to hit Second Thessalonians. Uh, these are actually... Uh, both these books kind of have a really um, sweet spot in my heart uh, because all the way back in 2011, 2011, uh, I was I just turned 21. Uh, I was in what's that, CCC. I was in my second year of college. No, yes, I was in my second year of college. Um, where, where were you guys in 2001? 2001. 2001. Yeah. First grade. No, not 2001. Did I say 2001? I meant 2011. <laughs> oh my God. 2001. I was in sixth grade and it was awesome. Uh, first year in post. Well, did it, have I been saying 2001 this entire time? No. Okay. Okay. Just then. Okay. Okay. I'm confusing myself. Um, 2011. Where were y'all in 2011? Junior high school. Junior year high school. Where, where were you? Junior high. Junior. Junior. A, junior high school. Uh, First year of Warner. I guess 2011, I was in my third year of college. Yeah, I graduated in 2012. Okay. That makes a little more sense. Um, but uh, so I, it was my first year ever uh, being a youth pastor also, which was kind of fun. And the very first book I ever taught out of uh, was First Thessalonians. And uh, so actually the group that I was teaching, a good majority of them graduated that year. We're in college group for a few years, and now we're all off doing their own thing. So uh, it's kind of fun to dive back into the book that I first started teaching out of. Um, and it's one of my favorite books uh, in the Bible. I, I normally say that about every book we start, because uh, it's kind of hard to have a favorite. Uh, but if you really want to know the dirty secret, uh, First John is my favorite book by far. First John is the greatest, uh, followed closely by Romans. And then first and second Thessalonians are somewhere with Ephesians. And then we look at the rest of the Bible. But no, it's all it's all super good. Um, but tonight, uh, we're going to be diving in. I don't have a name for our series yet. I'm sorry. Uh, with John, it will happen like right away. But uh, we're going to figure that out together in the next week or so. Um, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Thessalonians chapter 1. Uh, in my Bible, that's on page 1038. Uh, bonus points if anyone else has the same page as me. No, okay. My dad has the same page as me, but that's because he has the same Bible. Oh, man. I, yeah, you got a lot more pages. Ah, there we go. There we go. All right. Well, here, the, this is what it says, uh, picking up in verse 1. It says, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word 
in much affliction by the joy of the Holy, or with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all Macedonia uh, and Achaia uh, who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith towards God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. Let's pray. Dear God, we just thank you for your word. Uh, God, we just thank you. Uh, God, that you love us so much. Uh, God, that you you gave us your word. And it's uh, it's so much more than just a book. It's so much more than just words on a page. Uh, but God, it is it is your word uh, inspired by you. Um, as Timothy tells us, it's, it, it, it's breathed by you. Uh, God, and we just thank you for the opportunity that we have and the accessibility we have, uh, God, to access your word. Uh, God, and I pray that we would not take that for granted. Uh, God, and that when we come and we study your word, uh, God, that we would just grow deeper uh, in our love for you, deeper in our knowledge of the things of you. Uh, God, and I pray that you would transform us from the inside out. Uh, God, that you would work on our hearts. Uh, God, and that you would form us and fashion us and mold us into the people uh, that you have created us to be. And so, God, we just thank you. God, I pray that tonight none of these words would be my words, but, God, you would speak through me. Anything that would be of me, uh, God, may it fall on deaf ears or may not even be able to get it out of my mouth. But, God, your perfect word would come through. God, that your word would inspire us, that your word would encourage us, God, that your word would challenge us, um, God, just to, to live more like you and to live more for you. So, God, we just pray all this in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. If you're taking notes uh, tonight, uh, it's always a great, note, uh, a great night to start taking notes when it is uh, the start of a series. Um, the title of the message is New Kids on the Block. Uh, and it's just fun. Uh, I remember when Eric actually was the new kid on the block. Eric is my next door neighbor, uh, and we had a lot of fun times on the block. Um, and so uh, the title is New Kids on the Block, and I'll, under, uh, I'll explain that in just a few moments. Uh, but I'm going to let you know up front we're only getting through one verse tonight. I know we read all of chapter <laughs> one, but we're getting through one verse. Uh, next week I promise to at least get through two. Um, but we'll start a new series. We're definitely going verse by verse because that's always fun. Um, but new kids on the block because the church here in Thessalonica uh, is a very young church. By the time um, that Paul is writing the letter to this church, which we're going to dive into that in just a few seconds, uh, the church had only been a year old. Um, now, in the church in America today, the church in the world today, uh, a lot of churches... Um, would be seen to uh, be losing purpose. Uh, churches get get stagnant. Churches get complacent. Um, and, and, and there's a difference uh, between a church that's static and a church that is dynamic. Uh, a church that's static or a church that isn't moving forward, isn't taking any new ground, as a, is a church that's more caught up with status, whereas a, a church that is a dynamic church, that is a church that is moving forward, that is doing things, uh, is caught up uh, with souls. A church that is static is more about members, where a church that is dynamic is about actually doing ministry. Uh, church is not supposed to be a museum for the saints, but rather a hospital uh, for the sick. Uh, static churches are churches that are more based on 
organizations and uh, programs versus a dynamic church, uh, a church that's alive. I think the, the way God intended church to be is a church that is more uh, on the things that are of the Lord, spiritual growth, discipleship, and all those things. Uh, so the book of uh, of Second or First Thessalonians is a church. Uh, that focuses on and gives us a model of what dynamic discipleship looks like. Uh, we want to be uh, disciple makers. That's what Jesus has called us to do. Uh, and so we get this uh, example of what it means to be a dynamic disciple maker. Uh, when it comes to churches, and we're, we're going to dive into the, into the text in just a second, but when it comes to churches uh, and movements, it, it's been broken down that there's kind of three stages uh, that, that, that churches or movements or religious groups start with. Uh, and, and then they end with so so it goes from man to movement to monument and and at some point uh, a man or a woman uh, uh, starts a movement and, and it catches some passion people start going with it then the movement actually turns into a movement and it gets a lot of energy it's dynamic it's moving it's it's fluid and whatnot but if some things don't continue uh, a church or a movement can become a monument where people start saying, oh, remember what we used to be like. Remember how we used to do things. Um, they can begin to immortalize the past rather than having new vision uh, and, 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 and new spark like they did when they were a young church, when the church was first uh, being formed. And, and so what I want to encourage us uh, as a young adult group uh, that's been going for uh, four years, uh, where we're in the fourth year now, uh, of, of the leadership uh, of myself and the teaching of myself, we've gone from groups of, of 7 to groups of 20 to groups of 10 to groups of 65 to groups of 20 background to groups of 7 or so tonight. And, and, and there's an ebb and flow, and what we can never do is we can never say, man, remember what it used to be, and then begin to focus backwards. We always want to be focusing forward and saying, all right, God, what what what, what is the new work that you're doing? What is... Uh, some new vision and some new purpose. And so um, as we're going through the book of Thessalonians, uh, I want us to be thinking to ourselves, what maybe is God saying to us as a group? Uh, and, and what is God saying to me? Maybe we catch some vision. Maybe we catch some purpose uh, for, for what it means to be a, a dynamic disciple maker. Uh, and so we're going to dive into that and uh, just a few things. Now, churches uh, getting to a place of... Uh, Complacency, a place of stagnancy, a place of static, um, is is not just a modern thing that's happening in modern churches. I don't want to like scuff and, and say bad things about modern churches. Thing that's been going on uh, in the church for as long as the church has been around. Uh, we see even in the book of Revelation, Jesus writes to the church in Sardis. He says, "Hey, I know you're doing things, uh, but you're dead, and, and, and so it's time for uh, some new life, some new action." So, uh, Thessalonians. Uh, Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica uh, was a church that was one year old. Uh, and we see in verse 3, it says this, Remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience in hope. Um, three things that we see mentioned uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, th three of the most important things that are at the end uh, that, that, that persevere all the way to the end is faith, hope, and love. And these are three things that are operating uh, in, a, in a strong and vibrant passion here uh, in the, the church in Thessalonica. And so as we continue on uh, in this series for however many weeks that's going to be, let's look at how our faith can grow, uh, how our love can deepen, and how our hope can be uh, secured uh, and, and firmly fashioned uh, in the things of the Lord.
So, uh, one of the things that marks uh, not only the church here in Thessalonica, but that marks just a healthy church, uh, is a church that is zealous about service. And I'm not saying service like, yay, Sunday morning service, but service as in actually doing things, serving not only each other, not only serving uh, the church congregation, but serving uh, the community. We want to be uh, a people who are not only engaged uh, in the church, but we want to be engaged in the community uh, and the culture around us. And so how do we uh, get involved? How do we become a part of that? Um, as, as we look kind of at some background tonight, um, before we actually dive into some real meat in the weeks to come, uh, tonight we're going to break down three uh, parts uh, uh, kind of an intro to the book uh, of First Thessalonians, and that would be the background of the church, uh, the burden of the planter, uh, and the beginning of the letter. And we're going to look at these things uh, over the course of this evening. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, I know we're in the book of First Thessalonians, but turn with me back to Acts chapter 17, because really you can't study the book uh, of First Thessalonians without actually looking at Paul while he was in Thessalonica. First Thessalonians is a letter that is written to the church in Thessalonica a year after it was formed. Let's get a little bit of background on how the church was formed, uh, some things that took place right away. Um, so before we actually dive into Acts chapter 17, um, it's important for us to know that Paul is the one writing this letter, uh, and Paul went on uh, many missionary journeys, uh, and this current one he was on, uh, he, he's in, if you were to flip back just a page or so, to verse, uh, actually chapter 16 um, of the book of Acts, we see that Paul uh, had met a man by the name of Timothy, and he was hanging out with Timothy, uh, and he's doing some stuff in the region known as Derby and Lystra, not Listerine, uh, but Lystra, and, and they're hanging out there, they're doing ministry, uh, and Paul wanted very badly to go to Asia. Uh, he wanted to go to, to, to his friends in Ephesus, his friends uh, in Galatia and Colossae. But uh, we're told in chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit was restraining him from going uh, to preach the gospel in Asia. So a question that could be raised is, wait, the Holy Spirit restrains people from preaching the gospel? And the answer is yes. And it's like, wait, what? That's kind of counterintuitive. Um, the Bible tells us that the steps of the righteous are ordered by the Lord. Uh, you could probably add a tagline onto that, that the stops of the righteous are ordered by the Lord also. Um, because uh, how many of you guys know you can be doing a lot of busyness, you can be putting a lot of motion into something, but never moving forward? Have you guys ever sat in a rocking chair before? Lots of motion, lots of movement, going nowhere. Uh, and, and so we can do that sometimes in our, in our in our faith. And so the Holy Spirit sometimes will say, "All right, hey, enough, enough, like stop, slow down, slow down, grow, and then go." And and, and so we're going to look at how Paul uh, dealt with this because Paul so badly wanted to go to Asia. But the Holy Spirit is restraining him from going, so he's praying and he's asking the Lord, "Hey, where am I going?" And in uh, chapter sixteen, verse six, we see he gets this thing that has been called by theologians as the Macedonian call. He's praying, and, and a man from Macedonia shows up and is like, "Hey, Paul, come and preach to us in Macedonia." Paul's like, "All right, I'm going to Macedonia." So we see that he goes. He travels to Philippi. Uh, some things happen in Philippi. He establishes a church, uh, and then he travels a hundred miles to the south to the city uh, of Thessalonica, 
And that is where we're going to pick up uh, here uh, in verse 1 of chapter 17. It says this, Now when they had passed through Amphilippus, or Amphilopus, uh, probably messed that one up, uh, and Apollyona, uh, they came to Thessalonica, and there, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went to them for three Sabbaths and reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had suffered and rose again from the dead, and saying this, This Jesus whom I preach is the Christ, or is the Messiah. And some of them were persuaded, and a great number of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Uh, so he goes to this church in Thessalonica. Uh, why does he go to the church in Thessalonica? Well, more than one reason. The Holy Spirit obviously is leading him. Uh, but it's kind of the next city in the stop of Macedonia. So if we had a map, just imagine Turkey right here. Uh, this is Asia. This is where the Holy Spirit is telling him he can't go. And so he is now in this area called Macedonia, which is the upper northern part of Greece. It's kind of the part that has like the three fingers uh peninsulas and whatnot, and Philippi's up there. Well, about 100 miles to the south is the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica uh, is a very important city for not only uh, the Roman Empire, but before that, the Greek Empire, the Persian Empire, you did a bunch. And it was, it, it, it was the capital uh, of Macedonia. It had a very important road uh, that ran through it, much like back in the day, Route 66 in the United States kind of connected everything. And you went on Route 66 to get from one place to, 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 to point B. Um, this was the name of the road. Uh, it was the Via Ignatia. Uh, really, it was just the important Roman road that connected Roman Greece uh, to Roman Italy and Roman Greece to Roman Asia. Uh, and so because of this, it was a major trade uh, city. It was a booming city. It had over 200,000 people. It had the largest coast in all of Greece. Um, and it was nicknamed by uh, Greek historians as the key to Macedonia, the key to Greece. Because uh, if you, in a wartime, if you had taken over Thessalonica, you controlled uh, all of the trade. You could put an embargo and do all that good stuff. Uh, but it was full of, of people, over 200,000. This is a metropolitan city, very big. Um, and there were a good deal of Jews uh, in this area of Greece. So there was a bunch of Jews and a bunch of Greeks. So it was a great spot for Paul to go. Uh, now the morality of the city of Thessalonica uh, was like pretty much all ancient Greek cities were. Uh, pretty bad morals. Uh, lots of sex and weird sex. Uh, lots of just crime and evil. Lots of idol worship. Uh, and so Paul was jumping into a city that was very ripe and ready to hear the gospel in, in, in a city that needs the gospel. Uh, and so we see him go, and what does he do? He goes, as is his custom, goes into the synagogue for, th uh, for three Sabbaths, and he reasons with them from the scripture. Now, this was his practice uh, for more reasons than one. Uh, but the main part is, he went first to the Jews, then to the Greeks. Most of the time, there was maybe one or two Jews that would be like, oh yeah, Jesus Messiah, sounds great. All right, we're going to do it, and they'd join him. But when you go to the Greeks, we'd see uh, some big multiplication uh, occur. So he's there for three weeks, establishes a church, uh, and the church begins to grow pretty rapidly. Not only was it a key city, but it became a key church. How's it going, Dusty? Come on in, man. 
and, and so it became a key church, and we see that uh, mentioned uh, in First Thessalonians, uh, just just a few verses after the first one, which we read, uh, where it says, "Your reputation is known not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but throughout the entire region." So this became a very influential church. But not only were there uh, there those who believed, but there were those who opposed, uh, and who were pretty frustrated with some of the things uh, that was going on. If we continue on in Acts chapter 17, this is what it says, picking up in verse 5, it says, But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some evil men from the marketplace. Now, I use the New King James Version. Some people use the NIV. Some people use the New Living. Other people use, uh, I mean, there's a whole bunch. Not many people use just the old school King James anymore for a lot of obvious reasons. But sometimes the King James actually has some of the coolest phrases in it. So that part where it says, and they took some evil men, uh, this is what it read in the King James. This is cool. And they took some lewd fellows of the baser sort. Some lewd fellows of the baser sort. Yeah, just like, dang, these dudes were pretty messed up. They wanted to fight. They wanted to do uh, some bad things. And it says they gathered in the marketplace. They made a mob. And they set all of the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. So the house of Jason, uh, Paul's just been hanging out with this guy. Jason's probably a new convert. And he says, hey, I got a house and my wife's a pretty good cook. Come live with us. So Paul's hanging out with them for a time. But Paul has seemed to have escaped the city or, or, or had to like left the city at some point pr- prior to this. Because it says, when they did not find them there, they dragged Jason out and some of the brethren to the rulers of the city crying out, these are them who have turned the world upside down. Now, that's kind of a cool um, reputation to have. They had a reputation of being world flippers. They, like, they everything changed. I, I would like to change that to, they were those who turned the world right side up, got people focused back on, on, on what is good and what is true. And then uh, they say this, Continuing, they say, Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city, uh, or, or and they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they had heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So in other words, they said, all right, well, we're going to tax you. Here's some, uh, you give us some money, and we'll let you go do your Christian thing on your own. Uh, but we see that the church grew quick uh, in three weeks, and, and it, it became enough of a thing in three weeks that these Jews were like, hey, this is pretty messed up. Uh, let's kill the people who are in charge. Uh, so some things take place uh, as the church is formed. From the time Paul establishes it, three weeks, he leaves and he goes to Berea, and we'll see that later on in chapter 17. Um, and from Berea, he goes to Athens. When he gets to Athens, he sends Paul, I mean, he sends uh, Timothy and Sylvanus back to Thessalonica to kind of just get an update on how the church is doing a few months later. In that time period, he goes from Athens to Corinth, and now he's been in Corinth for about a year. When Timothy comes back to Corinth uh, and says, hey, this is how the church is doing here uh, in uh, in Thessalonica. So if you turn back with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians, 
This is what Timothy says to Paul. And he says this, picking up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. He says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us some good news of your faith and of your love, and that you always have a good remembrance of us desiring to see us as we also desire to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all of our afflictions and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. So, Timothy says, man, this church is doing great, Paul. They're awesome. Uh, they're, they've got some things they're dealing with, so uh, they might need a little bit of encouragement. Paul's like, yeah, I'm still hanging out in Corinth, but I'll write them a letter and then go bring it back to them. So, Paul in, uh, in Thessalonica, then to Berea, then to Athens, sends Silvanus and Timothy back. Paul ends up in Corinth. The year's taken place. Timothy comes back, hangs out with Paul, and then brings a letter back to them after a year. And that is kind of how the church uh, in Thessalonica is formed. Paul, hanging out in the synagogue three weeks, establishes a church with all new believers. People say, man, starting a church must be kind of hard. It's really not. You just got to be like, hey, I'm excited about telling people about Jesus, and I'm excited about this city. Let's do something. And so uh, we'll dive into uh, what that looks like uh, as we look at, uh, at what Paul has to say about being a dynamic disciple and a dynamic disciple maker. Uh, one of the ways and the easiest way to get a church up and going is uh, let the gospel loose and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. We, we so often in America, and, and, and I've done a lot of church planning conferences and like learning what it means to plant churches and, 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 and how we're going to go plant churches. And it's like, man, we got this new computer program. You can just type in the city and use the U.S. Census and bank statements and everything. And we get demographics of the exact people you want to reach in this city. So you should make them your target audience. And there's like all these different like formulas and systems and everything. It's like, Man, that's cool, but what happened to just sharing the gospel with your neighbor and letting the Holy Spirit do the thing? Um, it's, the American church has kind of gotten to this place. Hey, Holy Spirit, we don't need you anymore. We got our systems and programs. Go over to Africa where they actually need you and uh, do something over there. But we're going to start churches over here. And uh, I think it's very imperative for us as followers of Christ uh, to allow the Holy Spirit to do his work as we do our work. And our work is to share the gospel uh, and then allow the Holy Spirit to convict hearts and do that. So... Are we trying to start a church right here? No, we're a part of a great church. Uh, but each and every single one of us as individuals, you are the church. Uh, the church is not a building, and we're going to talk about that in just a little bit uh, tonight when we look at what it actually means when Paul says, to the church. Uh, but I'm not going to steal thunder from 10 minutes down the road. Uh, but you are the church, and so you need to be doing what God's word calls us to do, and that is to make disciples. How do we do that? We share the gospel and we allow the Holy Spirit to do his job. So really that's kind of the background uh, of the church. Uh, our second point for tonight is we're going to look at like the burden, uh, the burden of the planter, Paul being the church planter here. Uh, so why did Paul write this letter? Uh, he gets glowing reports from Timothy, but he also has uh, a few concerns. So these are Paul's burdens. Uh, he's probably got more than this, but as I look at it, uh, I see four very distinct burdens that Paul has uh, for the church in Thessalonica and, and being a reason for writing this letter. The first is to give them encouragement uh, during their growth. 
Okay, the church is growing rapidly. People are being added to this church daily. Uh, and so Paul gives them some encouragement. You're going to see as we continue to do the study, he says, keep it up. Keep doing a good job. Keep sharing your faith. Do more. Do more. Do more. Keep it up. Do good. Uh, it's dangerous uh, for us, not only as believers, but for the church as a whole, uh, to get to a place where we level out, where we plateau, uh, where it becomes more about memories rather than what God's going to do in the future, um, where churches begin, and or people begin to look back and be like, man, I remember in 1998 when I was just, I was on fire for God. Okay, what changed? Let's get back to when you were on fire, and let's be on fire continually growing in the Lord. And, and so, Rather than looking back, we got to look forward uh, and see how God is still going to work and how he can still use us. Um, and so uh, I, I heard it said this way, and I think this is really good. Uh, you as the believer, uh, you're like a tree. You're either going to die or you're going to grow. Trees don't stay the same height. They continue growing or they die. And, and, and so we as believers, we need to be like that, uh, firmly rooted like a tree, uh, and we should be growing. I don't want to see anyone die. So uh, let's continue to grow in the Lord, keep stretching forward um, onto the sun like a tree would be there. They're, they're growing. They're trying to get as much sunlight as they can so photosynthesis can take place. It's the same for a believer. We are growing, and we, and we should be growing closer to the sun, Jesus, uh, and, and that photosynthesis that takes place in us as believers, that spiritual growth, spiritual maturity that comes from spending time in God's Word, spending time in fellowship, spending time in prayer. So he's writing to encourage them uh, during their time of growth. Uh, secondly, he's writing to strengthen them uh, during their difficulties. Uh, this is a church that is facing persecution. People are being dragged out in the streets and, and being uh, forced to pay money. People are being dragged out in the streets. They're being beaten. Uh, they're being accused, not falsely, but very poignantly, of being people who turn the city upside down because they're just telling everyone about Jesus. And he says, hey, be strengthened in this. Know that you're doing good. Persevere. Because perseverance leads uh, to, to, to character, and character produces hope, as he wrote uh, the church uh, in Rome. Um, not only is he writing to encourage them during their growth, not only to strengthen them during their difficulties, uh, but he's writing them, uh, and, and he has a burden for them to have purity when they're surrounded by so much filth. It's, it's, a, it's a city where morals are loose, where no one really cares what's going on, uh, and they're just living in sin. And he says, hey, the temptation is there. Stand strong. Stand pure. Do the things that I taught you when I was there. And, and, and so he says, I've got a burden that be pure. Be pure. Be pure. And then the fourth thing uh, that, that I pull out of this is that uh, he's bringing some instruction for their confusion. Uh, the church in Thessalonica was very excited about the Lord, very excited about Jesus, very excited about Jesus' return. And as you'll see, Paul, Paul's going to write Jesus in his return. Jesus in his return so many times throughout this letter. We see talk of the rapture uh, and, and some things there. And Paul really had to break down and give some instruction because there was a lot of confusion in Thessalonica because some people had come through saying, hey, y'all, y'all missed the rapture. Nice work. Like, have fun. And they were freaking out. They were like, what on earth is happening? Did we miss it? Is it? And Paul's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Let me break down some things for you. So we're going to hit that in probably five weeks or so. But that was one of the main reasons uh, that Paul writes this letter to them was to bring um, some clarity where there had been confusion uh, in things regarding to Bible prophecy. 
uh, and conflicting messages that they were receiving uh, from folks. Um, but one of the main things, and, and I guess maybe a fifth burden that, that Paul has, is that the church would continue to grow. And so he's going to write to them on what it means to be a disciple, but not only what does it mean to be a disciple, but what it means to be a disciple maker. Um, and so uh, he, he's going to show them what it looks like to put their evangelism uh, into action, uh, put some feet on the ground, uh, put their hope into action. Um, and not only is it going to do that for the church in Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, uh, we're going to get that blueprint for us today. Um, so in continuing of our introduction uh, of this book, and, and, and we're going to get more uh, verse by verse and more actual like practical application uh, next week and in the weeks to come. Um, but the last part uh, of this, if, if, if we had uh, Paul's burden uh, for, for writing this, the burden of the planner, when we look at uh, really the, the foundation of the church, the third thing that we're going to be looking at uh, is the beginning of this letter. So verse 1 says this, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the, Thessalon- uh, of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so I really love the way ancient letters were written and the way they were broken down. Uh, epistle is just the Greek word that means letter. Um, but we see the author up front. We see Paul and then his team, Silvanus and Timothy, uh, and then writing to the Thessalonians. Here's the cool thing that I like about this is if you look at the names, there's no titles. We don't see Dr. Paul, Ph.D. We don't see Reverend Silvanus. We don't see uh, Timothy, the Master in Divinity. Like, we don't see any of those titles. They're just like, hey, you know what? We're just average dudes just like you. Just like you. So, so, so there's this sense of humility uh, rather than pride. Uh, there's a sense of intimacy rather than a sense of, of professionalism. Like, I am Dr. Paul, and I'm going to write you this letter. I was like, hey, bro, it's me, Paul. You remember me? I hung out at your house. We were chilling with Jason. It's good. Uh, and, and so he's saying, hey, we are, we are intimate. We are friends. We are on the same level. Uh, Dwight L. Moody, uh, who was a great Bible teacher uh, of the 19th century, uh, he said, it's not about how many serve you, uh, but it's about how many you're serving, uh, being someone who's humble rather than someone who's prideful. Um, another pastor said it like this. Uh, he said, I'm not interested uh, where your heart is when it comes to like, oh, man, I have a heart for that. I have a heart for that. He says, I'm more interested in where your hands are serving. Like, So Paul's saying, hey, you remember what I did when I was with you. I, I was hanging out. I was serving. We were doing things together. And so Paul, once again, um, just reiterates that even in the humility of not putting a title with his name. Because he very easily could have said, uh, Paul, uh, minister of the gospel, bishop of the church. But he says, no, I'm just Paul, simple tent maker, doing my thing. Uh, Paul, the name Paul, actually means little one. So it kind of works out for the humility thing. His name pretty much means humble. Um, then we have Silas, uh, who uh, is also the same character as Silvanus. Uh, it's the same name. One's Greek, uh, one's Latin. So they're interchangeable. So uh, the story of Paul uh, and Silas in jail, this is the same dude, Silvanus, here uh, in First uh, Thessalonians. And so Silvanus, we see in Acts chapter 15, uh, is not only a prophet, but he's a leader in the church in Jerusalem who was commissioned to go with 
Paul, and then we have Timothy, who at this point is a pretty young guy, a lot younger than Paul. Uh, Paul refers to him as his spiritual son. Uh, and Paul says that of all of his companions, all of his followers, all of those who are on his team, he says, Timothy is the only one who reflects my heart. And so uh, Timothy's kind of a little Paul. And Paul actually uh, establishes Timothy as the pastor in the church in Ephesus, and Paul writes two letters to Timothy saying some pretty awesome things to him. Yes. So it's considered young in this age. Like, uh, I think your Paul's probably 80s or 90s. Uh, no, no, no. Paul, Paul, at the point this is being written, is probably, oh, let me see. Uh, he is probably 50 at the time this is being written. Uh, he, he would have been probably a contemporary age-wise of Jesus, maybe a few years younger. Uh, and, and Paul is writing uh, the letter to the church of Thessalonica somewhere around 50 A.D. And so um, Timothy was probably in his late teens, uh, like John. Uh, when John was, was during the ministry of Jesus, uh, he's considered one of, one of the young disciples. Most scholars believe John was 14. Uh, at the time Jesus was doing his ministry, and so young Timothy's probably in his late teens at the, like at the latest, probably early twenties. Um, but for for the time, he's a young man, so so he's of uh, man age because the age of adolescence didn't exist back then, um, and so he he would have been someone who could have been working, but wouldn't have been someone who would have been like a professional yet. So. Probably late teens would be my best guess. So Sylvanus, we don't actually know how old he was, but uh, if by the time Acts 15 comes around, if he was a prophet and a leader in the Church of Jerusalem, he was probably in his mid-30s, probably 40s, so somewhere around there. Um, and so uh, Timothy, by far the youngest uh, of the crew. One of Paul's uh, partners earlier on in his ministry, Barnabas. Uh, Barnabas was probably just a little bit older than Paul. And so the squad was pretty much late 40s, early 50s, and then he had a few stragglers like John, who was in his mid-30s at this point, and Timothy, uh, and, and Titus, who was another young guy. Um, so one thing, that this is, that this is extra, uh, one thing I really like about Paul uh, is Paul didn't surround himself with uh, contemporaries. He t- tended to surround himself with younger folks he was raising up the next generation so that then they could raise up the next generation. Uh, and so uh, that's just really good uh, leadership, I think. Yes? This might have absolutely, I probably does have absolutely nothing with what you're talking about. But like in the times of Noah, people lived hundreds of years. Yes. Why now is it so much closer? Like now in like where they're riding, why is it so it's very, very like the lifespan was probably similar to what we have today. Yeah, yeah, the lifespan was was pretty synonymous with what we have today. Why was it different than uh, when people like at Noah's time were living? Um, nine, yeah, nine hundred and sixty some odd years. Um, there, there, there actually is like some science behind it. Um, and so, a uh, little pause on the sermon because you asked the right question. I love talking <laughs> science on stuff. So, uh, Dan could probably answer the question because we've talked about it in our Friday morning Bible study and whatnot. Uh, but we're told in the book of Den- uh, in, in the book of Genesis that um, when God created the heavens and the earth, uh, there was a firmament around the earth, uh, and, and He says the waters that were above with the waters that were below. So the earth had water in its uh, in its crust, but it also had a, 
uh, a vapor canopy that was around the entire earth. Uh, so, so some moisture that was outside of the atmosphere, kind of like a water bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, right, right. And, and, and so, but on the outside of the atmosphere, there was actually uh, liquid water around it. And, and we see that in some moons right now, like NASA using Hubble. They're like, man, there's water in the atmosphere. That's weird. Because uh, we don't have it on our Earth currently, but they did. This is what uh, creation scientists would believe uh, prior to the flood, because when the flood takes place, it says the waters broke from above and from beneath. So, boom, flood, obviously lots of water coming in at once. But what does water do to light? Water reflects light and it refracts light. Uh, now, when sun uh, or, or when light is coming from the sun, light comes in three and only three wavelengths. Kind of interesting. Light, one thing made up of three things. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 tells us that God's invisible nature, even as Godhead, uh, is made known through creation. So God being three in one. But that's a completely different story. I get really excited about these things. Uh, light is made up of three things. It's made up of luminiferous, which is the, the illuminating light, uh, the light that is bright, that makes us be able to see. It's made up of infrared, which is the heat light. Uh, and then it has ultraviolet, which is the spectrum that we can't see, but it's also the spectrum, and it's the kind of light has radiation that brings about things like cancer, brain uh, brings about uh, deformities, and, and so there's a lot of things that ultraviolet uh, does to humankind, let alone life in general, that's harmful. Now, with a vapor canopy, uh, ultraviolet light, the, the way the wavelengths move, uh, they're not long and, and boisterous like uh, luminiferous and, and ultraviolet is. Those ones are, are super wide wavelengths, so they're able to pass through. But ultraviolet has a very small wavelength, and so it bounces off of things. And so uh, just like if you were to point a laser pen at a mirror, it bounces off, and then you can make cats jump on the other side of the room when you're not even looking at them. That's fun. Uh, same thing with the ultraviolet light. It would hit the vapor canopy, and it would bounce off. So what uh, theologians and creation, story, uh, creation scientists have theorized is that the reason why people live so much longer uh, one, there would have been a universal temperature because there's no rain, there's no uh, like weather patterns because that stuff's all created uh, or caused um, by heat that's coming from the sun and other things. Um, and so it would have been pretty tropic throughout the entire Earth. Uh, but also, there's no ultraviolet light getting through, so none of the, none of the cancers, none of the, uh, all, all, all of the things that have drastically affected uh, human lifespan, let alone um, after the flood and whatnot, uh, and, and by the time we get to Abraham, God tells Abraham, man's day is 120 years, and so man's not going to live more than 120 years. And when you look at known history and recorded history, since those people who are recorded in the Bible, we don't have anyone breaking the record of 120. So when God said, man's not going to live any longer than this, he kind of put that in play. But there's some science, and then there's just God's word being God's word. So, um, the yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The the oldest person we probably have New Testament uh, is John, and scholars say he died somewhere around the age of ninety five to one hundred and one. Some scholars would say he made it to one hundred and two. Uh, no matter what, though, he made it to heaven, so that's pretty cool for him. Um, but John, since he was super young uh, during the time of Jesus. Uh, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the Gospel of John. Those are all written in the 90 ADs by John. Uh, every other apostle is dead. Uh, and pretty much every other first-generation Christian 
is dead. John's kind of the Yoda uh, amongst this group of younglings. And so he's, he's like, hey, I've been around a little while. Um, and so he was actually the only one who didn't die uh, via martyrdom either. He wasn't killed for his faith. They tried many, many times to kill John. Uh, but uh, Paul didn't have it as easy as John. Paul, Paul was off pretty quick. Um, but Paul established quite a few churches, uh, but he died in about 63 AD at the same time Peter did. Um, so probably in his late 50s, early 60s. Okay. So, yeah, Thank you. awesome question. Tangents, sorry. Yeah, tangents are fun. Tangents <laughs> are fun. Uh, you and your dad are both so much fun. Yeah. A wealth <laughs> of knowledge. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, Friday nights. This is a this is a, a shameless plug for our Friday morning uh, Bible study we do. Uh, some nights, I mean, so, some Fridays it's at nine in the morning, later it's at nine thirty. Uh, but we do it here in this room, uh, and it's Bible study. But there's no like breaking down sermon. Like boom, here's a sermon. It's like, hey, we got questions. Let's like let's just dive into it. Let's hash it out. And I think the first time we did it, we looked at the clock and it was like three and a half hours later. We're like, wow, we talked about so much stuff. Uh, and so it's super fun. So if this is the kind of like dialogue you guys love having, uh, Friday mornings we do this. Uh, and if that doesn't work for you, uh, for Friday mornings, well, we'll try and set up every few, few months on a Tuesday night. We'll just do Q&A time. Q&A time is a blast. I love it. And uh, I don't like teaching topically. Uh, I love teaching <laughs> verse by verse, uh, expository uh, and exegetically. But question and answer time is super, super fun. And... Uh, yeah, don't get me going because you guys will be here for a few more hours. So uh, we're going to dive right back in. Uh, so awesome, awesome. Um, so what we'll notice is we have the writers, um, but then who is it being written to? It's being written to the church of the, Thessalon- uh, the, the Thessalonians and the church of God, uh, the church that is in God. So it, it, it's a church that has dual addresses. It's, it's a, the church that is in a physical location, but it's also the church that is in Christ. Uh, and we, as followers of Christ, we also have a dual address. Not only are we here in Clackamas, but we are in God. And, and, and we've got to remember that, that, that God puts us in our physical addresses, but we are of God. And, and, and God uh, is our main uh, address. We are ambassadors to earth. Uh, Paul says we are aliens, not extraterrestrials, but we are... Uh, ambassadors of a different nation, a different kingdom, that kingdom being heaven. Um, but what I really want to look at uh, is, is the word church uh, there in verse 1, to the church. The Greek word there for church is ekklesia, uh, which is the name of our Tuesday night Bible study. Go figure. Uh, we just pronounce it wrong, but we do it on purpose. It's ecclesia to us because we're lazy Americans. Uh, it's actually ekklesia uh, to the Greek scholar, but... Everyone, it just reads easier, Ecclesia. We just let it roll. Um, but uh, ekklesia is, is a Greek word that means uh, the group of people or the gathering of people. Uh, it has its um, root word, which is, I'm not a Greek scholar, so don't make fun of me, but it's ekleo. Ekleo. Okay? Everyone say ekleo. There you go. Now you all speak Greek. That's awesome. Um, and that means the called out ones, those who have been set apart. Uh, and so the church is those who are a group of people, a gathering of people who are the called out ones. Uh, and so we see um, here that, that, that this church is not only a church of a city, but it's the church of God and of Jesus Christ. Um, 
and and Paul's going to break down as we look at this that the purpose of the church uh, is not politics, is not social justice, but the purpose of the church uh, is spiritual growth and the spiritual growth of the believer uh, and growing closer to the Lord. He then goes on to end the first verse by saying, Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now what I think is super cool about this, uh, and I just want to kind of close with this, uh, I'm going to close with the way Paul opens. Uh, Paul opens almost every single letter that he writes uh, with the phrase grace and peace. Notice how in every time he writes grace and peace, it's always grace first, peace second. And there's actually meaning to that. But before we look at the meaning, remember Paul is writing and Paul is pastoring both Jews and Greeks. In Greek culture, as you're walking down the streets of Greece uh, in, in the first century, let's say we're walking down Athens and I see, uh, we're streets of Athens, I see Dan, or Danius, uh, as he would be in Greek, uh, chilling on one side of the road. I'd be like, yo, Dan! And I'd, I'd throw him a deuce, you know, I'd be like, this is... But in Greek, it's chorus. And so chorus uh, is the Greek word for grace. It'd be like, hey, grace, man! Grace, grace! Uh, and, and, and so... Uh, grace is, is, is the Greek word charis, uh, whereas peace, if we're walking on the streets of Jerusalem, and I see Eric on the streets of Jerusalem, I'm like, yo, shalom, bro. <laughs> and shalom is peace. So what he's doing is he's saying to both the Jewish and the Greek audience, he's greeting them with their normal salutations. Now, you might be like, oh, okay, whatever, man. I thought that was super stinking cool that, like, the Jews don't say Grace, man, that's only what the Greeks would say. And the Greeks don't say peace because they don't like peace. They're warful people. And But the Jews, the Jews are all about peace. And so he, he, he starts it out with charis and shalom. Now, the really important part, and we're going to close with this, grace always comes before peace uh, in Paul's writing uh, because in order to experience the peace of God, one must first experience the grace that comes from God. Grace being that unmerited favor and peace being... Uh, the absence of chaos, the absence of destruction, peace. Um, and in, in order to truly experience the peace that only comes from God, uh, one must experience His grace as well. And, and, and when we enter into His family through the grace of God, then we can experience the peace of God. Uh, and, and so when it comes to peace, when it comes to grace, uh, they work hand in hand. Uh, but but when we experience the grace of God, when we experience the mercy and the love that comes from the Father, then we can truly begin to experience the peace that comes from God and the peace that can only come from God. Uh, the world gives peace. The world offers uh, uh, venues and avenues to, to get relief, but the, the true peace and the only peace that actually can bring comfort is the peace that comes from God. Uh, and one cannot experience that peace unless they have tasted uh, of God's grace. And so I just want to encourage each and every single one of us tonight, uh, when we look at our lives, when we look at the lives of our friends and our family, uh, our brothers and our sisters, uh, the grace of God uh, is the entrance to the peace of God. It is, is the path that leads to peace. And so in a world that's full of chaos, in a world that's uh, full of turmoil, uh, if you have Give me your heart to Jesus. You have tasted of his grace. Now go be that grace. Bring that grace to the world around us. Rather than bringing condemnation, rather than bringing judgment, we got to bring grace. Now there's some things that God says, hey, don't do that. 
And we're told, hey, don't do that. And let people know, don't do that. But grace and love need to abound more. And, and, and so let's be a people, let's be a church, let's be individuals who operate in grace. And when we operate in grace, we can bring peace uh, to the people around us. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray. Uh, dear God, we just thank you so much for your word. Uh, God, we thank you. God, that you have given us, uh, God, just uh, not only a set of, uh, of, of guidelines to live by, but even more than that, God, you, you've given us freedom to live, uh, God, in your grace. Uh, and God, you've given us your word uh, to, to encourage us and to build us up, um, God. And I just pray that each and every single one of us, uh, God, who are here tonight, that we would... Um, God, that we would know what your grace is, uh, and God, that we would experience peace that comes from you. Uh, God, that we would have the reputation of being those who, who abound in love, uh, who abound in faith, uh, God, whose hope uh, is set and whose hope is fixed on you. Uh, God, may it be said of us uh, that, that we are those who turn the block upside down. Uh, God, that, 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 that we would be people who bring Jesus with us, uh, God, and it ruffles some feathers, but even more than the feathers being ruffled, uh, the hearts are changed. Uh, and God, like Paul, who established this church in just three weeks, uh, God, we have a lot more uh, in three weeks where we can be just saying, hey, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, God, may we be people uh, who are about our Father's business, sharing the love of Jesus wherever we go. Uh, and God, we just pray that as we do that, as we let loose the gospel, that we would allow the Holy Spirit to move. Uh, and so, God, we just thank you, uh, and we praise you. God, I just pray even right now that you'd put in our hearts and in our minds, uh, God, just maybe a friend, uh, a relative, a co-worker, a classmate. Uh, God, just put a picture in our mind of them, God, someone who, who, who needs uh, to hear uh, the story of grace, who needs to hear that there's a God who loves them, uh, God, who needs peace. And God, I just pray that you would give us that boldness, you by your Holy Spirit would give us the boldness uh, to go share with them this week that, hey, God loves you, and God has a plan for you. Uh, and, and God, I just pray that even now you'd be preparing the hearts of the, of the people you're showing us in our minds, God, that you would be preparing their hearts, uh, God, to hear the word, and then when we plant the seeds, it would fall on good soil. And God, then as we learn what it means to be a, a dynamic disciple maker, God, that we would be able to uh, disciple them so that they could then go and make disciples who make disciples and so on and so forth, God. So we just thank you, and we praise you. Uh, go with us as we go from this place. We just pray all this in your son's wonderful, beautiful name, Jesus Christ, and all God's people say, amen. 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 Awesome, guys. Well, I'm, I'm super excited.